Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Jim Garrity is out this week. Rob Long, contributing editor at National Review Online. He's the co-founder of Ricochet, uh, host of Martini Shot, which we talked about yesterday. And hopefully he's not going to sue us over uh, copyright (laughs) infringement of any kind. Also co-host of the Glob Podcast. And uh, Rob, good, bad martinis, as well as a crazy for conservatives today. And... Sometimes good martinis are born out of bad martinis. I like to say that 2020 was the year that the left took the mask off and told us exactly who they were on a number of different issues from uh, how they approached uh, history and tearing down statues to uh, racial issues in some dimensions and certainly as it related to teachers unions and schools. And I remember when uh, L.A. Unified Uh, basically said they weren't going back to the classroom until we had Medicare for all, which uh, seemed like a bit of a stretch. And maybe that's still what they're holding out for. Who knows? But the good news out of this is that some states, more rational states anyway, have decided to shore up and strengthen school choice options for parents uh, since the unions seem absolutely bent on making sure that it takes as long as possible to get back into the classroom. And the Wall Street Journal editorial page is talking about this today. They say the pandemic has been a revelation for many Americans about union control of public schools that refuse to open. That awakening is helping to spur some welcome reform progress as several state legislatures are moving to expand school choice. One breakthrough is in West Virginia, where the legislature passed a bill creating the state's first education savings account program. Republican Governor Jim Justice signed it on Saturday. The law requires the state to set up ESAs by July of next year. The funds would be available first to students currently enrolled in public school or about to enter kindergarten with no cap on the number who can qualify. In 2026, private and homeschoolers could be eligible if program participation is less than 5% of statewide public enrollment. Uh, Georgia, meanwhile, you know, they always pass those controversial laws in Georgia. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, The House passed a bill last week that would expand eligibility for the state's voucher program for special education students. Uh, The bill is headed to the governor's desk, expected to sign it. And in South Dakota this month, uh, Republican Governor Kristi Noem, who doesn't always sign bills, as we find out, signed a bill that expands eligibility for the state's tax credit scholarship program to students already enrolled in private schools. So uh, other states are getting on board as well, Rob. I think uh, parents who are paying attention, which is a lot more than there were a year ago, are seeing the frustrations of getting a normal education for their kids. Uh, They want to get back to some sort of normalcy and to have more options to do that in a less crazy environment is a good thing. Good job to these states. Yeah, great job. Look, the thing that's held school choice back for years and years hasn't actually been um, its popularity. School choice uh, uh, polls really, really well when you ask people. What held it back is the practical part of it. Parents would go in and they had this in California. They did this in other states. And they would have this ballot initiative, almost always a ballot initiative or some other issue in front of them. And they would say, well, look, I... I don't know what that's going to look like. I have worked and kind of jerry-rigged our school. I like the school I'm in, kind of. I figured it out. And now you're going to change it. And that was always what that last mile of getting people to embrace school choice on a legislative basis has always been the problem. Well, last year, 
something big happened. And now a lot of parents know exactly what life would be like if they have to scramble to find alternatives for their children's school. They know exactly what school choice will look like and what problem it'll solve. They've already lived through it. So it's a huge blunder on the part of the, uh, as you said, on part of the teachers unions <laughs> and the irony, of course, as you said, this is the year that the, the left took the mask off. While they made us all put a mask on, uh, they did take their mask off. So in some way, there's, a, there's, there's metaphorical karmic justice here. Um, but what I hope is that people will see that there's nothing scary about school choice, that it is, in fact, incredibly powerful solution. And, and something conservatives already know, school choice will make public schools better. And school choice is a winner. You can just look at the results. I know it's been said many times on this podcast, but when Ron DeSantis barely won the governorship in Florida, the percentage of black women who wanted to give their kids a better option for education was a big factor in him edging out Andrew Gillum in that race. So uh, this needs to be more of a front burner issue for conservatives anyway. And I can't think of a better set of conditions for them to to push forward on this. It's not only good electoral politics, it's really good uh, for for people to have that option, to get their kids a better education because they now see what uh, what the unions are really focused on. It's a big reveal uh, and there's no way to go back. Can't put the toothpaste back in the tubes, they say in politics. Yeah, and hopefully, uh, again, those uh, options are available soon. It does take a while to, to get them implemented. So hopefully parents will have uh, more options soon. And uh, if the public schools uh, don't get off the crazy train, uh, they might see their numbers continue to decline. They certainly have this past year. All right. Well, if you want to get your head in the right place and look, a lot of uh, people with uh, kids learning by Zoom for Six, seven hours a day uh, has uh, driven a lot of people to the verge of madness. But wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep, focus, act? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. It's also one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. You know, it, 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 meditation is one of those things that if you ask any doctor, they will tell you. It has a powerful, powerful effect on your health. It also gives you, gives, I do it every day. I do it twice a day. And it gives me more time. I don't need help falling asleep. I need help calming my brain when I have to sit down and do something. And Headspace has four or five special little, very quick meditations that you can do. Uh, and once you get into the habit, I'll tell you, it's transformative. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash martini. That's headspace.com slash martini for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. It's the best deal they're offering right now, so go to headspace.com slash martini today. All right, Rob, let's talk about New York politics again because we've got Andrew Cuomo, the guy is racking up scandals at a dizzying pace here, and maybe that's his secret to staying in office is you can't keep track of and stay focused on one. You've got the nursing home scandal where 
People think uh, up to maybe 15,000 people have died in nursing homes and, you know, a significant number of those due to the fact that he forced them to take in COVID positive patients and not test them. Uh, Then, of course, you've got the uh, sexual harassment accusers. We just got another one. This one says he forced a kiss on her upstate at some point. I think it was in 2017. And now we've got the scandal of him uh, demanding preferential treatment for those close to him. I think this is in the earlier days of the pandemic. Uh, Quicker access to tests, quicker results from tests and so forth. Washington Post on this story, which I think in and of itself is significant that that they're beating this drum. But they say Governor Cuomo's relatives and other well-connected New Yorkers were among those given preferential treatment at state coronavirus testing centers. State troopers were on standby to rush their samples to a lab to be expedited. And those with priority status got results within hours or a day compared to a wait of up to a week that other New Yorkers faced at the time. Seven individuals with first-hand knowledge of testing practices said that some people with access to power were able to largely bypass the overburdened resources available to the general public when the pandemic first gripped New York last year. But people familiar with the efforts said they were told to treat individuals differently because of their connections to the governor. And so uh, they assembled a system that gave special treatment described by staff as priorities, specials, inner circle or critical. So, Rob, I mean, the uh, the list of negative qualities to this guy is just uh, growing exponentially. What do you make of it? And will it make a difference here? Two things are amazing. One is just the absolute cascade of scandals that have erupted since the inauguration of Joseph Biden. I mean, yes. that, that, that yes. is a timing that is curious. This guy went from hero to villain so quickly. Uh, If you look at the two most powerful uh, Democratic governors in the country, both of whom, um, by uh, by definition, have have presidential ambition, both of whom actually specifically have presidential ambition, uh, Gavin Newsom in California, Cuomo in New York, they are both pretty much toast at this point. Um, You know, it's hard not to see the 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 guiding hand of Kamala Harris. (laughs) I'm sure it isn't. But boy, she's having a good week. Um, I think Cuomo's problem is that uh, there, there are so many scandals now that you can choose what it is that you hate him for. You can hate him if, you, if, you're, if you're exercised by uh, sexual harassment. You can hate him if you have a, a grandparent in, uh, or an older relative in, a, in, a, in a assisted living in New York State, and you can hate him for lying about it. I mean, ultimately, the, 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 yeah. the mistakes he made at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you could make the argument that we didn't, nobody knew anything. Um, but he didn't have to lie about it, which is what he did. Uh, the most interesting thing is the press is now trying to furiously kill him because they propped him up for so long. And uh, that is kind of how the press works, especially in New York state. The second issue here for New Yorkers is that this guy is now going to be doing everything he can to win us back. So the young people are probably, he's going to, I mean, they're going to be marijuana laws that are going to be uh, uh, repealed 30 and older on Tuesday, next Tuesday in in um, in New York state is eligible for the vaccine. So the vaccine you're eligible if you're 30 or older starting Tuesday. Uh, so he's going <laughs> to, he's going to be handing out favors as much as he can to, um, to win back uh, his dwindling support. And, you know, look, look, these are, these are New Yorkers. They'll, they'll line up for goodies. So I would say for your New Yorker and you've got a pet issue, look for uh, help from the governor um, within the next week. 
I want to get your reaction to a thought that Jim Garrity has had on this, Rob, and that is that this is essentially the Northam effect where everyone is horrified by what he's done. Uh, pick your scandal or combine the scandals. Uh, you must resign. And he says, uh, no, not going to do it. And basically everyone's like, okay, then I guess we're going to move on. And unlike Northam, he doesn't have a lieutenant governor who's also mired in scandal. That's kind of how Northam survived the whole uh, Klansman slash blackface scandal. Uh, I mean, Kathy Hochul, of course, is, uh, I'm sure, a dyed-in-the-wool lib. But uh, Cuomo's essentially saying, nope, not going to do it. And so far, the polls I've seen show that there's not a, uh, a public ready to push him out, regardless of how many scandals this guy racks up. No, I mean, the scandals themselves aren't, I mean, I don't think that he was ever in any danger of being forced to resign the governor of new york state is actually pretty powerful uh and has a lot of levers to pull i mean more i think than the governor of virginia although not entirely certain of that but there's a huge apparatus for the governor in new york state the empire state to to buy favor and to make have friends and this guy has been in politics his entire life He's been a governor. This is this is his third term. So he's been around a lot. He's got a lot of support where it counts. Um, I don't think and he's and he's pugnacious and the guy fights back. So I don't think he was ever there was ever really any actual possibility he would resign. Uh, he's going to fight it out, um, but he's going to fight it out by doing what politicians do. He's going to be giving stuff away. Um you know, New York State will open up really quickly. Uh, you know, all of the restaurants that have lost money, they'll suddenly find there's money. Um, someone told me uh, two days ago that the people, there are people trying to build this actually very cool idea, what they call the plus pool, which is a big swimming pool that kind of floats in the East River. And it, <laughs> it, it, it filters and purifies the water as it flows into the pool. And so the pool is filled with clean water and then it sort of floats out and uh, and it's an expensive thing and it's an experimental thing. And up until, you know, 48 hours ago, the governor was like, I'm too busy to even think about this. Uh, This is a complete rumor. But from what I hear, he's not too busy to think about this now. Um, So there's lots of Governor Cuomo projects coming as he attempts to uh, buy back the affection of the state. I I don't think it's going to work, but I I don't think he's going to leave. He's just not going to stand for re-election. He's going to be replaced at the ballot, not by fiat. I think that's right. The reason I laughed when he first mentioned the pool is I expected to, I was envisioning this party barge going down the East River. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently it's not that. Believe believe me, if someone proposed that to Governor Cuomo, he would probably say (laughs) yes at this point. What what, the, The Governor Cuomo party barge. How could you hate a governor that brought you a party barge? Exit question on this. So is the uh, quote unquote impeachment investigation in the state legislature a real one? Oh, I think it's real, but I think it's going to I think it's a bargaining chip. I don't think it's I don't think anybody really wants the you know night of a thousand knives that will come if if Cuomo leaves. I think what they want is they want the leverage over him for X or Y or Z. The New York state legislature is sort of like a million billion Joe Manchins. You know, they have a lot of power a lot of leverage in one vote and they're going to use it um i mean it's going to be i think it's we're going to look at a a ballooning state budget and a ballooning boondoggle state budget and um a huge amount of pork and that's what you do when you're a politician in trouble so you're stuck with this guy for almost two more years new york at least that seems to be the likely scenario (laughs) there's worse there's worse we still have de blasio it's like (laughs) there's no, no point getting rid of cuomo yeah, but he's gone in less than a year. Oh, God, I'm not going to last. <laughs> That's the one. Uh, we'll see who wins that race. But uh, hey, as long as you got to wait two years for a new governor, probably, you might as well do it in comfort. 
and my pillow is a good way to do that but it's not just laying on your pillow and being comfortable my pillow also has given the same attention that they've given their pillows to their towels and right now three martini lunch listeners can get two of the six piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping my pillow towels have proprietary technology that makes the towels highly absorbent they're soft to the touch without that lotiony feel i know exactly what they mean uh 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee they're washable dryable there's seven colors to choose from and a single six-piece set includes two bath towels big towels uh 30 inches by 56 two pack hand towels 16 inches by 30 and then two pack of washcloths 13 by 13 using them right now fantastic products so go to mypillow.com to learn more and to order right now again three martini lunch listeners all six piece towel sets are buy two for one low price and free shipping use the promo code martini at checkout or when you call 800-874-0104 that's mypillow.com code martini or call 800-874-0104 for two six piece towel sets for one low price and free shipping well, Rob, you did an excellent job of foreshadowing the crazy martini because you mentioned Gavin Newsom and uh, his troubles out in California. This story is not specifically related to him. This is uh, more related to uh, local politics. But, uh, of course, Newsom is facing a recall. Most likely they're still going over the signatures. And unless they uh, get really uh, weird about what qualifies as a legitimate signature, we're going to get another California recall election. And uh, if you know the political culture wasn't crazy enough, those who remember 2003 know that California recalls are a special crazy. So hopefully we can uh, see that again. But uh, Marin County, California, that's San Francisco. Not exactly a uh, place that's uh, politically diverse, shall we say. The left runs everything there. The elected officials there, according to Hot Air, uh, have instituted a pilot program offering a universal basic income in the form of a monthly stipend to a limited number of participants. That's not unique since other things like that have happened, but uh, other parts of it are unique. And then they quote from Liberty Unyielding, where it says, in California, local governments are administering welfare programs that exclude whites and men. At least one of these programs violates the Constitution by discriminating based on race and gender at taxpayer expense. They claim local governments can't use tax dollars to finance racially discriminatory programs by private entities, and they cite a couple different Supreme Court decisions for doing that. They say the Marin program doesn't just racially discriminate against whites, it totally excludes them because you can uh, you know, have a sliding scale under some sort of affirmative action policies as well. So, Rob, the left is constantly telling us that we're the racists, but uh, as they implement policies time and time again... Things are not always as they seem, are they? No. Well, I mean, first you have to say, all right, this is California, first of all, but it's also Marin County. So you said Marin County is like sort of lefty. That is actually a disservice to lefties. I mean, Marin County has been nutty since the beginning. I mean, it's been famously nutty. I grew up very close to there. It, <laughs> Marin County was like, you'd say, what are you from Marin? Um, <laughs> when when some behavior was considered bizarre or uh, hard to hard to parse the weird thing about this is that the the world and the country actually seem to be getting as as usual the people themselves seem to be getting over all this stuff like there's they're more multiracial families more multiracial couples more multiracial children so what you're going to have trouble in marin county is you have to sort out all the rate of what is white 
Is white 30% white? Is white my grandfather's white? What is white? What is not white? Um, and to, to sort this out, they're going to have to they're going to have to consult the experts, right, who were racist Southerners in the deep south around the turn of the century who codified, especially like in Louisiana, codified all the various different races and what drop you had and two drops and 10 drops and what an octoroon is. And this is the where where orange. This is where Marin County has found itself right back in Louisiana in 1895. Um, and that is, of course, a irony that is dark and bitter. They will not recognize because these people do not recognize racism when it's done for what they think are you know, good reasons. They only recognize it when it's and sometimes when it isn't done by somebody else. But the ordinary people, I mean, if you're a multiracial family, right, if you're a person with a one Hispanic grandparent or one Hispanic parent or whatever, you are you are you know you know this when you see it that it is entirely entirely designed and that's what all of these programs are designed designed to make crackpot white progressives feel better all of these welfare programs like this they don't help the people they're supposed to help they just help crackpot white progressives feel good about themselves um and that is <laughs> that in marin county is pretty much 80 percent of the population so from the party of unity, we get all sorts of division here. Uh, at what point does this blow up in their face? Well, I mean, I hope soon. I mean, I, 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 the, the, the problem is that the other side tends to sort of to fall into the trap. I think soon it will because it's just it, it, it's obviated by your e eyes and ears. You see a different country than the country they're describing. You see different families than the families they're describing. And you see there are a lot of white people who don't feel like they're very privileged and they're not very rich. And there are a lot of uh, African-Americans who feel like they don't have a particular beef. And there are a lot of multiracial families who don't understand why white progressives feel in, are insisting on categorizing them. So partly you want to like never get involved when, when your opponents are you know in the middle of killing themselves. But for the other side, you need to set a welcome table here. It can't just be adversarial politics. It has to be sort of like, well, if you think this is crazy, you should come to our side because we think it's crazy, too. Um, usually when you can paint the, your opponent as an insane person, you can win an election. Rob, this was not part of the script, but uh, I want to get your thoughts on this anyway. Today is one of those days that uh, makes you say, wow, I'm kind of old. It was 40 years ago today that John Hinckley shot Ronald Reagan. And thankfully, uh, not only for conservatives, but for America and really the world, uh, Reagan survived and uh, had two very successful terms as president. Uh, I was uh, pretty young at that time. I was uh, shooting baskets in the uh, driveway after school, and I was uh, not too good at it. And I made a few in a row and went to the house to tell my mom. And that's when I found out that the president had been shot. And my favorite moment in watching the coverage uh, that day was Dan Rather, who was a almost a brand new uh, CBS News anchor. He had just taken over for a couple of weeks uh, from Walter Cronkite. They had replayed the footage of Reagan walking out of the, the Washington Hilton Hotel a thousand times. And I think he ran out of analysis. And so uh, he basically said, you can see here when the bullet strikes the president that the smile leaves his face, which is usually what happens when the bullet strikes you. But uh, Rob, what do you remember from that day? I remember a couple of things. I remember one was that the, the, the TikTok of the event, they push him into the car and he says something like, God damn it, because he thinks that the guy pushed him. He thinks that they broke his rib. He didn't know he'd been shot yet. And then uh, as they are, as he's being wheeled into surgery, he says to the to the doctors, I hope you're all Republicans. <laughs> right. And and it was a moment when a president who, um, you know, it was a, it was a decisive win. 
in the in the in the November before the election before, but it was not 100 percent. And he took office at a time when people were when there were hostages in Iran and uh, there was inflation and the economy is terrible. It was a, a real moment where a guy took a bad situation. Talk about a bad martini getting shot in the chest and turned it into a moment where people thought, oh, man, this guy's in charge. I feel good. And you could, you, I mean, I was, I don't, I mean, I wasn't that, I was in, I think I was in high school, um, maybe just in high school, but there was that, you could feel things turn. You could feel that, the, oh, this is what a president does. We haven't had one of those for a while. He just kind of like, he's just cool. Um, and then the other two things they did was that, that that White House was so locked down and so incredibly disciplined. It's really hard to remember a White House like that, that they had, they, they were prepared for it and they had the photo ops done and they had him in his pajamas in the bed and they had Nancy standing next to him and they had a stack of papers there. And the Americans saw that picture in the paper the next day of a president. He took a bullet. They fixed him up. He's back at work. Uh, and then the second thing was really interesting was that um, George H.W. Bush, the vice president, came to the White House uh, because that was sort of constitutionally required. But he just he drove. They said, oh, we, we, we should chopper you in. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm just going to drive in. I'm going to walk in. And he did. And that made a big impact on Reagan and Reagan's team because it, it, sh it showed that Bush was not a showboat. While at the same time, a sweaty and nervous Secretary of State Alexander Hay <laughs> grabbed the presidential podium and said, I, at that, now I, I am in charge here in the White House. And, um, uh, and that was the end, I think, pretty much the end of his political career. It's the beginning of the end, yeah. The beginning of the end, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everything was uh, well handled by the administration, except for that moment. But uh, uh, but yeah, Bush had been flying to Texas for some event, uh, got turned around when he got the news. And yes, uh, he could have uh, choppered back from Andrews, but decided not to, which uh, which was uh, very much appreciated, as you mentioned. So, yes, between I hope you're all Republicans and honey, I forgot to duck. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Re Reagan became uh, greatly oh, endeared to the public. That's how you, that's when you really know your role when you're like, man, I miss Reagan so much. Hard to believe it's been 40 years since that and 32 years since he left office. Just amazing. But uh, Rob, uh, so thankful that, that, he, uh, that he survived that day. And uh, we actually had some good news today as well. So uh, talk to you tomorrow. Just talk to you tomorrow. You got it. Rob Long, contributing editor, National Review Online, co-founder of Ricochet, host of Martini Shot, co-host of the Glop Podcast. Busy guy. In for Jim Garrity, I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us. Subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on the home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast and find all of us on Twitter. You can go to at Jim Garrity, at RCBL for Rob or me, at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday and please join us on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Why do the Democrats want open borders even though it damages national security and the people who are crossing the southern border are brutalized by the drug cartels? I'm Sarah Carter. On the latest edition of the Sarah Carter Show, we discuss this and how Dr. Fauci continues to move the COVID goalposts with North Carolina Congressman and Dr. Greg Murphy will also highlight the huge threat to your personal liberty through vaccine passports and how our children are now in the COVID police crosshairs. Subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.